Music is a universal language which transcends culture and nationality. For more than a century, the Tabernacle Choir has used that language to influence millions around the world. The 360 voices, the orchestra, under the influence of two dynamic directors, demonstrate how a volunteer organization can achieve the extraordinary. Music director Mac Wilberg and associate music director Ryan Murphy join us for a unique conversation about leadership, inspiration, and the transformational power of music on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? All right, we're very pleased today to be joined by Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy from the Tabernacle Choir. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to have this conversation and to, to help people see just a little bit uh, behind the choir and behind the, the two people who bring that choir together in a, in a most extraordinary way. This, uh, this choir has been called America's Choir, has a rich history, uh, traveled the world. People readily recognize the, the sound and, and the symbols of the choir. And uh, so, Mac, you've been doing this for almost two decades now between associate uh, and then at now as the director uh, for the last nine years or so. Uh, give us just a little historic perspective. What that what has that been like for you? Well, since I have been with the choir almost 20 years, as, as you've already stated, uh, I've, I've seen an evolution of the choir over the time. I mean, the choir will always be the choir. Yeah. And uh, and as we always say, we stand on the shoulders of the many, many who have come before us. Yeah. But in order to, of course, stay relevant and, and be something that people want to continue to listen to and be hopefully inspired by, one has to evolve. And so with, with that evolution, of course, it was the creation of the orchestra at Temple Square, which has become a, a very important part of, of what the Tabernacle Choir does. And then we, we also have... Uh, the the bells on Temple Square, right. which from time to time join us, and uh, and then I think one thing that has highly influenced the uh, the evolution of the choir is the building of the conference center. Of course, that was completed in two thousand, which is about right. the about the same time that I became a part of the. Uh, the organization and, right. and that has I think played a profound role in in how the choir has continued to evolve over the years yeah I want to drill down with that just a little bit Mac it's really intriguing to me because most people don't think of the tabernacle choir as as innovative uh, yet you've just described some very innovating components to it uh, as the leader how do you bring everybody along through that kind of innovation and change well f- first and foremost it's about the music. The music mm-hmm. is really important, <laughs> and, and the music drives everything. Of course, that we do from from our our uh, weekly broadcast of music in the spoken word to that that important role that the choir plays at general conference twice a year, mm. and uh, and then all the other things that come come in between those events from either week to week or or twice a year, and. Uh, you know, you're always striving to for it to be as perfect mm-hmm. as it can possibly be, given that we only rehearse two and a half hours a week right. on Thursday evenings. And uh, we perform usually between three and four hundred pieces a year. Wow. Which is a lot of music. Yeah. On a very little rehearsal. And so it's always a challenge, but the, there's a lot of joy that goes with, yeah. with this challenge and uh, with uh, 
performing really f- from week to week. Yeah, fantastic. Ryan, let me bring you in. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to watch you practice in one of those uh, very short practices. I was I was amazed at the speed at which you moved through that rehearsal. You were rehearsing for an Easter performance and music of the spoken word and a host of other things that uh, that were coming on. Ryan, you've been the associate director for since almost a, a decade now, That's 2009. Right. That's and right. uh, how do you keep up? How do you keep up with that pace? That was just mind boggling to me. Like the you brought everybody in and then it was like boom and off to the races you went. Yeah, I'd say the choir has to work very very quickly and uh, a lot of times I get in front of the choir and I know I've got three minutes, seven minutes to fix something to make something ready for the broadcast. So it is a very fast timetable and uh, I think one of the things that we've done to help with that is we're actually very very uh, picky <laughs> to use. <laughs> wish I could find a better word, but our our audition process is rather rather difficult. It's about an eight month process to get in the choir now and and. Uh, uh, we have to have people that can read music quickly and produce very quickly. Yeah. So that's that's part of it for sure. That's so. amazing. I think sometimes people think that the only big requirement to be in the Tabernacle Choir is to have a beautiful voice. Right. And while that is indeed very important, even almost more important is that those who are those who are members of the choir have to have a particular uh, skill set yeah. in order to really survive in the choir. Yeah. Because we move at such so an quick. intense and fast pace that unless you have the, the skills to be able to do it, you're it's not going to probably be a very pleasant experience. Yeah. I want to talk about that uh, that skill set requirement. And, and Ryan, I'm going to start with you and then we'll go back to Mac on this one. I want to get both of your takes on this. A lot of these people who try out for the choir, uh, they've They've been soloists. They've performed locally. They've performed in high school or college. They, they have some of that soloist background. How do you take all those unique individual voices and really make them one? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's great if someone has a soloist background, but we are not looking to sound like a group of 360 soloists. <laughs> we have to mesh all those voices together. And so it, it is a different skill set, and it does take a lot of time and preparation. And as part of the process to come into the choir, they participate in a choir school for four months. And that's kind of all about making the voice uh, work in our situation. Uh, when you were talking about the innovations of the choir, I was thinking about the the internet and how the choir has its own YouTube channel now. Mm. And just about everything we do gets put online and everything we do has a microphone over it. And so the quality <laughs> right. has to be very high and we certainly want uh, voices that can work together and give us the best possible sound. Yeah. How do you see that, Mac? Well, very much as uh, Ryan has already uh, stated, I always remind the choir from time to time that 95% of everything that we do as a choir and an orchestra has a microphone involved. (laughs) And that makes a huge difference in the way that one has to approach. Otherwise, Mm. if if our singers particularly are not uh, thinking in terms of being a part of the entire ensemble and not as a soloist, then then we end up indeed with 360 soloists and it's not going to sound very good. (laughs) Essentially, everything we do is like we're in a recording session because of that microphone element. And so. one other, one other uh, I think, uh, if you co- would like to call it an innovation, is that uh, actually when I, be- when, when I became associated with the uh, organization, and not because I became associated with the organization, but it was something that was already in place, and that was the, the beginning of what we call uh, the choir school, school, right? and then our Temple Square Chorale. And on, on, on Tuesday evenings, those who are being prepared to become members of the choir sing in 
in the corral, and then on Thursday nights they have classroom oh, uh, instruction. And that's where they learn how to make their, if you will, soloistic voice fit into the whole. Yeah. And, and I think it's very instructive. And because of that, those who then are eventually accepted into the choir come in and they, they can step and sit in the loft and stand in the loft from the very beginning mm. and make quite significant uh, contributions, which is exactly what we need them to do. Yeah. And we actually have a new group of singers that will be coming in a week from this Sunday. Or That's correct. This, a new, a yes. tonight. So First so rehearsal. <laughs> so yeah, so we've just finished that process and have new singers coming in now. Uh, and maybe you can so. comment, Ryan, uh, with, with that new group coming in, you also have a group of veterans that are leaving at the same time. Is that right? We do. We have choir retirements once a year, and that's actually going on this Sunday. And uh, Always a sad event. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very difficult uh, because uh, there are people that we come to know and love and that have made a great contribution, but uh, there's also many people that want to be in it, and so right. we have to make space for it's, those people too. Uh, it, people have to retire from the choir either at 60 years of age or 20 years of service, whichever, of course, comes, comes first. first. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's always sad. Yeah, I yeah. bet. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of ground to cover, and uh, always hard to replace. And that renewal process with new folks coming in uh, always always fascinating. Uh, I want to Mac. I want to start with you on on this question. Uh, and I've been thinking all day today about how to frame this. Uh, and I think it's one of your unique gifts that you brought in as director. Uh, and that is that it's 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 easy for someone to sing a song. Uh, it's it's difficult to sing a, a testimony, or it, it's easy to perform a piece of music, it's it's much more difficult to perform a, a principle or, or create space for that feeling. Uh, and it's something that you brought with you to the choir in a very unique way. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on how do you think through that? What does that mean? Uh, how do you play that out with the choir? I always feel like that everything has to be in place technically. And that is that it has to be, we spend a lot of time talking about pitch and intonation. Because mm-hmm. I always say, great choirs sing in tune. <laughs> Those who are not as great don't sing in, as well in tune. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's, not, there's not a fine line. It's either in tune or it's not. <laughs> and so the technical aspects, uh, there's intonation, and that's affected by resonance and by vowels, so that mm-hmm. all the vowels are matching, all those sorts of things. And then, and then there's precision, that everybody's singing together. And that's one of our, our huge challenges, because there's so many people. Right. And we're also in the in the tabernacle or the conference center, both of which are it's difficult to hear each other in either of those spaces. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a great musical ensemble is one that can hear each other really well. And so that's something that we struggle with, but we work a lot with. We, we work on rhythmic precision, all those sorts of things. And so there's these technical elements. And I always say if the technical elements and you've, you've given everything you can possibly give in, in order to make things as perfect as possible, and you've done everything you can possibly do, then... Then it then it can go the next step. Yeah, and the next step is what you were just talking about. Yeah, uh, I think that's such a fascinating principle because most people think about s- in choirs as the singing component, but you're actually saying well, the listening. emotion is part is certainly a part of yeah. any music making. Yeah, but in order for it to to really what I would say be exactly that, it has to be technically yeah. technically as perfect as you can make it, and then I always say the spirit then can. Can kick in at do that the rest. point and do the rest. Yeah, fascinating. But I would also say that one of the great gifts Mac has is his beautiful arrangements, and so he can take a song that people have sung for years and all of a sudden orchestrate it and put it in a 
new arrangement that sort of makes people hear it like it's a fresh in a new way. thing. Yeah, and I think some of the feeling comes through with the beauty of those arrangements that he well, creates. Ryan yeah. does the same. So, <laughs> so, thank you, uh, Ryan. Let me let me ask you. Uh, you're you're clearly a uh, a, a teacher at heart, because uh, I, I see that just in your your approach to those practices. Um, how does that play into all of us? I, I want to go back to, to Max's comment about the listening, because uh-huh. again, we don't think about choirs as listening. We think about singing and projecting, but uh, he's saying listening. How do you teach that? Well, I think with a group this size, it's easy for the singers to feel like they're anonymous mm-hmm. or that they can fly under the radar with certain things. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we are always trying to teach uh, principles that make our rehearsal go faster so that uh, they're kind of learning th- things and skills that uh, when an issue comes up in, the, up in the music, they have a tool set to sort of fix things on their own. And that's yeah. one of the purposes of the choir school as well. But uh, I do think re- a rehearsal is actually a great teaching opportunity as well. Yeah, so. uh, We have a phrase that we use all the time, which is, uh, which I actually borrowed from the, from another colleague, which is, listen louder than you sing. Oh, love and that. As, and as soon as you say, listen louder than you sing, it's amazing what happens to uh, a certain, particularly if something's not going so well, or you're trying yeah. to fix something and it's it's not working, Just you just say, please listen louder than you sing, and it's amazing what can happen. And in wow. a group that, that size, it's easy to do the opposite sometimes. Yes. So To feel like you have to sing louder yes. to be... Yeah, and and over singing yeah. can be a can be an issue. Yeah, oh, that's that's uh, that's a great principle for everybody, musical or not, uh, to to listen louder than you sing. That's uh, that's great, great insight. Uh, before we dive into some of the uh, arrangement work, because that's such a, a big thing. Again, you you both bring really unique gifts uh, to the table. Uh, again, uh, watching the the rehearsal the other night, I, I was just astonished. Mac, you w- you went to the piano towards uh, the end of the rehearsal, and you were playing your left hand and leading with your right, right. and then mid, <laughs> mid-measure, mid you changed and started playing oh, with your I? right hand and leading with your left. And then, how do you do that? It's just a, I, he's I he's just a show-off. Right? <laughs> I've been doing that for years, and I, and I don't even think about it. I found very early in my career that being able to be at the keyboard, especially when you're teaching a piece, you can just save all sorts of time in doing so. And and as we've already said, we have every second of our rehearsals planned out. And and we don't we don't really waste a moment. Yeah. We really do very little talking except to give yeah. instruction about something that uh, that needs to be fixed. And sometimes we have to give instruction as as to how perhaps we can uh, approach uh, fixing the the problem. Yeah. But we we just our 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 rehearsals are intense in 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 a good way I think yeah and, and Ryan I want you to pick up on that in terms of uh, as the leaders to have that kind of intense practice takes an immense amount of preparation from the leaders how do you guys attack that well we usually do coordinate uh, exactly <laughs> as long as you're not attacking each other yeah exactly what we're going to do and the amount of time we have on each thing and uh, like like Max said it's it's perfectly mapped out each night uh, we don't have the time to waste and uh, I think people feel like we're using their time to its best advantage when they come which is important for a volunteer organization to yeah. feel like that we are using every minute uh, the way it should be used yeah so. We have uh, high expectations of our choir members mm-hmm. and our orchestra members as well, yeah. and hopefully they they sense that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's 
it's just not a, simply a matter of becoming a member of the choir and sitting there and singing. It, it's much more, much more involved than that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's really a privilege and, and uh, a blessing to be able to work in an organization where all of those musicians are volunteer musicians. Which is amazing in and it, of itself. It, it is really uh, an amazing thing. It's unique. And yeah. from time to time, I have to remind myself of, of how grateful I am to be able to have that opportunity. Well, I want to jump now. Ryan had mentioned this, uh, being able to arrange hymns and make and literally have them sound as if it is something new. And I want to drill down because you both do this in, uh, and have done so on your, your latest album, which we'll also talk about, uh, Let Us All Press On. Uh, you have some of those arrangements that were just great refresh and, and uh, rethinking uh, in terms of some of these classic hymns and, and songs. Uh, and as a guy who that just boggles my mind to think how you would write on a piece of paper the notes that the violins and the trumpets and the sopranos and the basses and the cymbal guy, you know, all know what to do. When you start that process, where do you, where do you begin on an arrangement? Well, you you have to begin with the with the initial tune and text. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what what drives it. For instance, if it's if it's a if it's a more vigorous hymn and or tune and text, you're you're certainly going not going to set it as though it's very uh, slow right. and and of a meditative nature. And so that that really is where you start. And then uh, it's I think a lot of it is your inner ear and just you know I I always say we all come into this world with gifts and and certain talents yeah. and there are so many things that I could not do but this is one one of the things that I that I can do and it's it's sort of part of your nature as I said your inner ear your yeah. your innate nature if you will to yeah. to be able to sort of hear these things and and kind of imagine them Mm-hmm. And and how they, uh, I think it's interesting when you said you know the symbol crash, as yeah that's true you do you do hear those things when you're when you're uh, putting putting pencil on paper Ryan how about how about for you well I wish there was uh, an easy answer yeah, to that I want I want a three step process yeah I want to do this for me for me there's not uh, I wish there was but the inspiration comes in flashes and sometimes I'll know what the ending is going to be first or I'll know mm. what the introduction is going to be or I'll have an idea about a key change or whatever. Uh, so I wish it was the same thing each time, but each one is a little bit different. But I think what Max said is right. You want to stay true to the essence of the hymn. You don't want it to sound like something completely foreign to people, uh, but you want to give it a new suit of clothes and help people to see it in a new light. And uh, I think that's what this CD does very well. Many times you may not be particularly fond of a particular tune and text, but mm-hmm. but sometimes there's a specific need for something. And so uh, in some ways... That becomes a bigger challenge, but there's there's a little joy in that challenge as well. Yeah. As a guy who regularly sits in front of a blank computer screen, <laughs> knowing I need 800 words, and right. a little bit of that writer's block, yeah. do, you, do you get uh, composition block? <laughs> How does that? How does that play out? How do you work through that? Because that's a to me that's just such a massive undertaking. All of the parts and pieces. How do you get past that? I think any time that you sit down at a for us, it's a blank piece of manuscript paper. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it can be a little daunting. Yeah, uh, but uh, I've I, you just forge ahead, and sometimes you like what you've done, and sometimes you don't. And sometimes the best <laughs> that ideas. I know about. And, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that the thing that I always think is unfair is sometimes you do something and you think, oh, that was that was subpar, and then everybody loves it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you go, well, it's just not <laughs> fair. And then yeah. sometimes you do something that you think is really great. It's your best work. 
and it and it doesn't catch Don't on. Yeah. So I've I've sort of given up trying to predict, even <laughs> but, though sometimes it's frustrating. But we've yeah. talked about sometimes the best ideas don't come when you're sitting down to write. They come when you're mowing the lawn. That's or right. I, I wrote a whole piece walking the track once in my really? <laughs> in my head, yeah. you know. And so you had it's sometimes a little distraction is a is a good thing. Yeah, you can't always force it. M- mowing to lawns. <laughs> sweeping, don't sweeping, tell me that driving in the car, being <laughs> yeah. in the shower. It's some. It has something to do with where your mind goes. Yeah, that you can. You can you can really get some of your best ideas doing yeah. some of the most mundane Distracting things. things. Yeah. So what did you what did you write on the track? I want to know. Uh, <laughs> actually, standing on the promises was all written walking around the track. Really? <laughs> yeah. Which is funny is on this CD, but it was written about ten years ago, but recorded for the first time by the choir. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, as you look at the uh, look at the album uh, again, there's just some beautiful, beautiful pieces on there. Uh, Mac, what's uh, what's your favorite from this latest? I know it's hard to get a. Well, I'm a trying favorite. to remember what <laughs> we, we actually recorded the the uh, the CD last fall. So right. there's a lot of water under the bridge since then. Uh, you know, I I don't really have a favorite. Mm-hmm. I I always say my favorite is the the piece I'm working on at the time, uh-huh. or perhaps the piece I'm rehearsing at the time. Yeah. So having a favorite really doesn't uh, fly with me so yeah. much. I, I, I don't really have favorites. Yeah. And I know, I know that's a cop-out. I'll but. tell you one of my favorites of his. Uh, I, I, also a cop-out, but yeah, a good answer. We'll a cop-out, right. yeah. I, I love his arrangement of Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, which is on the CD. And, uh, that's what I wrote down as my favorite, just for the uh, I just love how it just builds. It starts a cappella with the men and then builds and builds and builds to this great climax. And I think the words are just incredible and uh, the it, setting is great. There is an example of a great tune and a great text. Yeah. Sometimes you get a great tune but not a great text and sometimes – more times than not, you get a great text and not a and great not a tune. tune but this is this is a hymn. This is a hymn where the text and the tune are what we call a perfect marriage. They're just it's just a a, a wonderful hymn. I want to talk for just a minute about uh, traveling with the choir. I mean, that's like taking a small city <laughs> on the road. By the time you add in the the choir and the orchestra and the support folks, describe going on tour with the choir. There's there's no roadies, as I understand, but uh, how do you make that all sing and dance? Well, luckily, we don't have to get too involved (laughs) in the logistics. Uh, We we have very little to do with that, except we do do talk about where we're going and the halls that we'll be performing. But yeah, uh, if it were up to if if we're up to myself, it would never happen, quite honestly. But we have a we have a really a fantastic Staff that is support just... uh, system with the choir, uh, a wonderful staff uh, who who really uh, spend several years and many many hours in planning these things before they're executed, and and I have to say they they come off so beautifully. Yeah. And uh, as Ryan has already said, we have very little to do with it. We can take very little credit for that. Yeah. We, we, and, and it's a wonderful thing to only have to worry about the music and not – I've been in situations yeah. where, you know, not only did you have to get the music on the stage, but you had to make sure the, ri- the, the risers, risers the were there. Stands. The music stands. were there if you needed chairs. Yeah. And, you know, and you're, you're there. You're moving them. You're counting them. And we – We're spoiled. We are very – we are indeed <laughs> – we're very – I was going to say we're very blessed. Yeah. And we have a – Noble. We have a fantastic <laughs> uh, support system. But what but, I will say is, we do worry about uh, on tour going to a different hall every time we sing. Yeah. We're in a new space, getting used to a new environment, a new acoustic, and so that's really the weight of what we do on tour is making yes. sure the choir can adjust to each new space, which is almost like starting over because yeah. you hear things differently in every hall, and every hall is different, and so, you, you have to make 
you have to make adjustments all the time. We have quite a lengthy in rehearsal to, in the hall as right. we move to each new space to get used to it. So, yeah, that, that's yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. It's almost like the uh, uh, the basketball coach is going into a different stadium every other night. Yeah, that's right. You, gotta, you have to completely yes. get your team ready in a very different. Uh, yeah, that's it's right. Not home court advantage. Uh, no. when, you, when you're on those. However, sometimes when we go into some of these really magnificent concert halls, we actually hear each other better than we do when we're in the tabernacle or the conference center, which which is always a, a kind of a treat for us to yeah. be to be as close together as we can possibly be and hear each other so well. You've had so many moments again in in halls famous and and historic uh, in in so many different spaces. Uh, are there any moments that jump out to you uh, as you as you look back at some of those performances again around the world in a particular hall or a particular setting where you just kind of felt everything came together in a significant way? For me, uh, being in in for instance, music for Ryan in uh, he uh, took my answer. Vienna, <laughs> where where some of our greatest composers have stood and conducted their own works. Yeah, to be in that hall, choir and orchestra. I mean, was pretty pretty special. Yeah, we were in the uh, Berlin Philharmonie, which is where the Berlin Philharmonic yeah. performs one of the the great orchestras of the world and to be in that space and and making music incredible experience Carnegie Hall amazing Ryan no he took he took <laughs> sorry he took my answers i think that experience so, so describe that for us when you're uh, when you're in vienna just give us some sense of the emotion, what's going through your head. Well, that was one of those moments, you know, a lot of times, like I said, you move to a new hall and you're thinking, how do I balance this? How do I make this sound the way it should? In Vienna, it was just kind of like you went out there and it was just beautiful. Uh, and a great hall can do that. And uh, the choir just sounded as good as I've ever heard it in that space. There's a reason why great halls are great halls, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's just easy to sing in them. You don't have to do much and it sounds great. Yeah, so. That's great. Therefore what? As we wrap up the, the show today, it, again, it's, it's therefore what for a reason. Uh, and so the people who've been listening and following along, the people who are going to listen to this album, uh, what is it that you hope they, they'll think about? What do you hope they'll think different? What do you hope they'll do different? What do you hope they'll appreciate different? Uh, uh, it's, as, again, as people listen to this moving forward. As we put together this album, I think there were a couple of things on our minds because we didn't just randomly select, in this particular case, hymns. I think that the subtitle of the, of the album is uh, Hymns of Praise and Inspiration. And I hope people will feel joy. They will feel like that they can continue and that, that there are moments where all of those things, of course, are part of being inspired. And then there are a couple of places where, that people can uh, meditate, if you will, or uh, think a little bit, thinking a little bit in terms of, of, uh, of uh, what life is all about, particularly in the hectic life that all of us lead. Ryan? I'd say my answer is similar. Uh, there's an arrangement of Rejoice, Lord is King on this CD, and the words from that always strike me, and it's Rejoice in Glorious Hope. And that's the word that comes to mind with this CD. I think uh, – I hope that people will feel hope, <laughs> and uh, I think that's something that's severely lacking in today's world, and I hope that when they listen, it sort of renews their faith and their hope. Fantastic. Mac Wilberg, Ryan Murphy from the Tabernacle Choir, thanks so much for joining us on Therefore What Today. Great principles, a lot of great things to think about. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what?
Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today, and be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on DeseretNews.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?